Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Fantastic episode for you today with another brilliant guest, Brazilian skeleton athlete, Nicole Silvera joins the show. Nicole is a pioneer and is attempting to be the first female competitor in skeleton for her home country of Brazil. Nicole grew up in Brazil and now resides in Canada, where in addition to her Olympic pursuit, she is also a registered nurse. With essentially two full-time careers, Nicole's schedule is to the hilt, and we were extremely fortunate that she took some time to chat. On today's conversation, Nicole and I talk about her athletic beginnings and how it was her time competing as a bodybuilder that actually led her to sliding sports. Nicole also reflects on the past year and how she's been able to adapt her training and be flexible to the sporadic hurdles that she's faced. Lastly, Nicole talks about the mental aspects that go into her sport and how she balances the excitement of going fast with the importance of being safe. Really loved me conversation with Nicole. Incredibly lucky to have her on the show and, and I am super thrilled to watch her inner journey to represent Brazil at next year's Winter Olympics. Next year, heck, it's in a few months. Next February. Gosh, it's almost here. Next February's Winter Olympics in Beijing. I know you guys are going to love her. So let's go ahead and welcome on Brazilian skeleton athlete Nicole Solera. And let's learn. Now, sliding sports typically transition sports. So what were the sports and activities that you participated in growing up? And what was it that first inspired you to try skeleton? Um, so from a very young age, I always did some kind of sport. So my parents put me in dance as a little girl often goes into. So I actually danced for, I don't know, from like age of two till 10 or 11, I would say. When I moved to Canada, that was the first thing I did. Um, and then from there, I started gymnastics, did a couple of years of gymnastics. Then I would go to watch my brother, my younger brother play soccer quite often. So then I got interested in soccer, started playing soccer. And then soccer was kind of the main sport, I guess, the longest sport I've done. I played it for over 10 years competitively. Um, besides that, in high school, I did volleyball, rugby, a little bit of cross country, not, not a whole lot. Um, and I say volleyball, soccer and rugby in high school. And then after that, it was, I started doing bodybuilding competitions. Um, so I did that for three and a half years. And then randomly, I was working at a supplement shop in here in Calgary. And an old teammate of mine came shopping. He found out I was Brazilian. He's like, hey, the ladies bobsled team's looking for a female. Um, and they're looking to qualify for the Pyeongchang 2018 games. Would you be interested? And at first, I said, absolutely not. I hate the winter. I hate roller coasters. Like this isn't for me. Um, but then long story short, I got convinced, went and tried out a little bit and enjoyed it. Just kept doing it. Ended up doing a season of bobsled. We fell short of qualifying. So that's kind of how I got into the sliding sports. And then from there, I was a break woman for bobsled. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the sports, but um, yeah. So being a break woman, you're just pushing and then breaking at the end. You don't really have much control over the driving aspect of the sport. So I knew coming back, I wanted to have a little more control. So I knew the following season, I either would come back as a bobsled pilot or a skeleton athlete. And so at the end of that season, my federation 
uh, reached out and they were like, well, we've never had a skeleton athlete before. You're living in Calgary at the time we had a track. So it was perfect. Um, did you want to give it a go? That'll be our main focus for the next quad. And I said, perfect decision made um, and went on from there. I'm going to ask you then about being the first. Uh, I know there's probably a lot of added pressure and there's also probably difficulty in the sense you don't have anyone to turn to. You don't have someone else, a fellow countryman who's done it before. So mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges you face at being the first, but also what makes you proud about being a pioneer? Um, I think it's tough. I mean, it's tough being the only one, A, for training purposes. Like I mostly would train alone and kind of, in the beginning, it was me trying to figure out what the next step was. And I like four years is a short period of time to be able to qualify for the Olympic Games. Usually to, um, people will do it in eight, six to eight years. So I like joining in new, my federation didn't know kind of what the process was. We had one guy that I think he participated in one world champs, but never really did World Cup or anything. So he wasn't super familiar with how to navigate the system. Um, so initially it was really tough for me to have to do that by myself. Um, but fortunate enough, like I have a, a great kind of team around me and um, my coach actually used to slide for Italy and he lives in Calgary and he's coaching me now. So he kind of did, because he lived in Calgary competing for Italy, he kind of was on the same path and he did things for himself and kind of knew where to go. So he's been extremely helpful in trying to help me with that. Um, I think a positive aspect of doing it alone is kind of, I have the freedom to do whatever I want and go and compete wherever I want. Whereas I think with a bigger nation um, that's more familiar with it, you kind of get told where to go. Um, So it's kind of nice to be able to pave my own pathway. And I think it's cool that the way that I've been doing it is a good, like I've been successful so far. So I think it's a good, method to kind of look back and see if if we have another well hopefully when we have another athlete um come and start this program that kind of this is this is the path from a to b so yeah very cool well you have your sights set on next year's olympic games in beijing and you mentioned about four years not a long time to, to to compete for a spot and you had one of those years taken away from you in the last year with training opportunities taken away and, and events how did you handle all the difficulties that came your way, especially emotionally of not being able to train for something that you've been really looking forward to? I actually was pretty fortunate that we had a season. Um, I was actually able to travel and compete. I would say normally, but it wasn't normal. Um, a lot of COVID tests and procedures and whatever were in place, but we were fortunate enough to, I think the fact that, um, so there's three tours on there's three different tours in skeleton. One's the North America's cup and Europa cup, um, intercontinental cup, and then the world cup. And you kind of have to qualify for, uh, so you, you typically start in North America or Europa cup. And then with that, you get points and ranking wise, you can compete in intercontinental and then eventually in the world cup. So I was fortunate that my second season, I qualified for world cup for this last one that just, um, went by. So, the world cup itself went on as planned. So I just participated in most of that mm-hmm. um, and was fortunate enough to be able to slide. The issue was where was the actual physical training aspect of it, where gyms were closed yeah. um, and tracks were closed. But again, I was very fortunate. I have a good group around me and they had equipment. So we were able to train out of garage 
garages in um, during the season. And then coming back, I, I was able to train at a, uh, at a facility that was just kind of private to me for a while. And then I got, eventually got some equipment at home. So I've been able to train at home and like, we're still in semi lockdown. Um, not everything's not quite opened up yet. Um, so I've been training a lot out of just my own garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, yeah, very fortunate to have actually be able to slide. I think it would have been very tough for me being only two years in having to take a full year off yeah. the actual sliding aspect of it. How'd you handle that just emotionally as far as the uncertainty that came with it? Yes, you had opportunity to, to still work out, but there were still probably lingering in the back of your mind of, are we going to have the games and what's going to happen? How'd you handle all that? Um, I think I just learned to take it day by day, to be honest, and be flexible and know that I'm, I'm very OCD style where like, I kind of like to plan my day and know what's happening and have like days in advance planned. So I think I had to learn to just know that, okay, tomorrow I might not be able to get to do my, the full planned workout that I was supposed to, or tomorrow. Um, I think with skeleton that also taught me that because the weather, like we can't control the weather. So there's times you're fully expecting to go and train or compete. And then all of a sudden it's minus 40 and you can't, or it's dumping snow and they couldn't clean the track on time. So all of a sudden you losing a day of training. Um, I think that was also tough this past season for me as I had a couple of tracks that I hadn't been to before that were quite challenging. And because of COVID um, our the number of runs that we get prior to uh, competition was reduced uh well not reduced it was just compressed into two two days instead of three so we kind of did a training day an off day a training day an off day and then a com- competition um so that was kind of tough because usually it'd be three straight training days into a competition and you'd even have some um time beforehand as to train but because of covid everything was very limited um so that made it a little bit more tough but doable. So I, I can't complain too much. Yeah. So what is an average training day for you? Depends on the year. Like the last three years I've been, I'm a, I'm a registered nurse mm-hmm. um, as well. So in the summers I work and typically prior to this year, I would work overtime. So kind of my, my day would be um, depending on my work shift. Let's say I work from, I don't know, uh, seven to three thirty. Then I would leave work, kind of go straight to the gym, train, come home, have dinner, go to sleep, repeat the next day. Or if I worked a night shift, then I would work usually from 7 p.m. So I would start my day off waking up. I would do my training in the morning. Then I'd have a nap, then go to work, work the 12-hour night, be done at 7.30 in the morning. Um, And then it would depend, like, if I work another night the next day, I would typically take that second day off of training and just sleep the day. Um, if it was just like a one-off night, then I, I sometimes wouldn't sleep, but I found that to be very challenging when I had, when it came to training. So I would typically take a three or four hour nap and then wake up train so that I could be tired for the night and have go back to a normal cycle this year though. However, because it is an Olympic season, I kind of told myself I'm going to focus more on my training and not be working so much. So I haven't worked any night shifts since my training began, I had the month of April off. Um, so I actually also do some travel nursing. So I went and did an assignment in Northern Alberta where I spent a month there, um, that kind of the month of April 
Sasha, it went into, so I started my new program May 1st. So it kind of went into that, but it's um, the province that I was working was a little bit more loose with the lockdown rules. So gyms were open. So I ended up extending my um, contract there and just working a little bit more. So there I was working full time and training, but um, it was just for a couple of weeks. And then when I came home, I've kind of been, I get one, one rest day a week and then one kind of lighter training day. So I try and book my shifts those days so that I get to focus really on just training. So, I mean, being a nurse and an athlete this year or every year is really, I don't have the same day every day. Like every day is different. Yeah. Um, so I kind of plan it the night evening before and kind of see what my steps will be. But generally there's, um, I'm doing two sessions a day now, five times a week. So two sessions a day of training and then try and slide some work in every now and then. So, Well, how do you balance that? Because you essentially have two full-time jobs. And the pursuit of the Olympic Games is a full-time job. Absolutely. And you have, a, you have another demanding job. You went through all your schedule, but how? How do you do that? Because I know it's going to take a lot of toll mentally, emotionally. and For sure. I think the reason why I'm focusing more on training this year is just to avoid any burnout because mm -hmm. I know I, I was pretty close to it the last few years, just trying to work as much as I could. Um, I don't know. Just, I just do it. It just, you, I think when I have it in mind that that's what's going to happen, then it just, it happens. Like on uh, Saturday was kind of tough where I did my sprinting session at five in the morning and then I went into work worked an eight hour shift and then came home and I had to lift still. So I know like I was pretty drained that day. So I tried to take a quick power nap before lifting and then went and lifted. And that was, I don't know, just, just get it done. I think I just kind of look at the bigger picture and what my end goals are and, and yeah, just do what I have to do. What's your why then? And it's probably the big picture of the goal. So what is the why that drives you on those days where you don't want to go up for that morning run? The games for sure. Yeah. 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 2022, February, 2022. I got yeah. a feeling though, that even after February, 2022, I think that you're always going to be someone who's filled their schedule. Absolutely. I think I'm very goal oriented. So yeah. I think I'll always have some form of goal that I want to reach. Now, when I'm done skeleton, whether that be career wise or another sport who knows but yeah <laughs> i love that another sport are there certain things you do mental health wise to you talked about how you've kind of balanced things taking a step back from work so you can train more so you're not burning yourself out but what are some of the other things that you do proactively uh for your mental health and for your emotional health um well one i think i try and schedule some me time some mm -hmm. just to relax and have some fun um and two, I did actually start working with a sports psychologist last beginning of last season. So he's actually from Brazil. So we, we, um, do zoom calls every week and, um, yeah, he's been great help. Um, just kind of going through different drills and we chat about how I'm feeling and what, what different, like different methods that might help. So me time is what's the number one thing that helps you relax. Um, sometimes honestly, just hang just laying in bed yeah. or going to bed a little bit earlier and just being able to lay in bed for a while or just hang out on my phone like that's yeah. and then other times like on one last wednesday i um, met up with 
a few friends that I hadn't seen in a while and played some casual beach volleyball. So that was nice to just do something fun. I, I like to be active. I like to move all the time. So I think just going to a park, like kicking a ball around, something like that is I really enjoy. And just being casual and meeting up with some friends is always a nice relaxing time too. You mentioned your sports psychologist. You're able to do some of that over Zoom. What are other some of the aspects you can do of your training virtually? I know that I've talked to some sliding sport athletes and they mentioned that they can go through a track with the turns and everything virtually. So are there other aspects that you use? Um, well, during season, and I have been doing some of it uh, even off season just to kind of keep up. If you YouTube point of view for whatever track you might want to see, you can actually see the track and kind of do some mental runs. Um, I do that a lot during the season. So that's one way uh, I guess I've been using um, it virtually. Another way over the season, um, my coach, he's a full-time police officer here in Calgary. So at times during the season, he can't be with me for some competitions. Um, so I know we did a couple where um, I would slide, compete, or yeah, we, I would train and then there'd be video taken of me. I send him the video and then we would do Zoom calls and kind of go over and review, um, review in that sense. Um, yeah, my sports psychologist is all online. I meet with my federation because they're based out of Brazil. So we do a lot of Zoom calls as well. So it's, it's really nice to have the technology for sure. I know that part of the reason you love skeleton is the excitement. And with that, there's a little bit of danger that comes with it. So how do you make sure that you're appreciating all the fun aspects, the excitement that comes with it, but you're also staying safe as well? Because that's, I know it's a fine line. And with that, are there anything you do mentally to make sure that when, you, when it comes time to go down the track that, you know, you're not letting, uh, getting too excited to do something, but also staying safe? Uh, yes, I think that's a, that was a big aspect over this last season that I worked on with my mental coach is just I tend to be an overthinker. Um, and so I was kind of in my mind, I'd go through, I do virtual run or mental runs and I would just go through kind of every possible scenario. It would just stress me out more than anything. So I think this over the season, we really focused on thinking less and worrying less, which seems counterintuitive because you're, you're not thinking of the dangers and like, what do you do if you're in a dangerous spot kind of thing. But I just felt I was less in those dangerous spots when I didn't think about them. Mm -hmm. um, so the, yeah, I think that was a big, a big part of it, but yeah. Otherwise mentally, I, I think it's, yeah, just thinking less and physically we wear a helmet. So that's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people who've had more of a fuller year than you in preparation of Olympics, full-time career in the medical field during a pandemic. I mean, yeah. that's, that, that is a complete, biography right there so with all that what do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've learned from the last 12 months oof, um and by, by the way you know how many times people say oof to start when i ask that question it's the <laughs> most common answer they say oof before they start it's a hard question <laughs> i think there were many lessons but one i probably say that nothing is certain kind of you got to learn to be flexible um yeah got to learn how to deal with uncertainty and yeah i'd say that would be the number one lesson i've learned so how have you changed in the last few years with dealing with uncertainty because i know you mentioned earlier you have the ocd tendencies so you like schedule you like routine mm -hmm. so how how have you changed over the last year about dealing with it 
Uh, I think just learning to be kinder to myself, I guess, and allowing myself to change things. And maybe today was the day, maybe today I have to take off. Whereas before um, I would just give myself a hard time or I would do anything where I would do anything to be able to train, for example, when really the best option was taking today off and then doing it tomorrow kind of thing. Um, and I would kind of beat myself up a lot for doing that. So I think I've just been a little bit easier on myself and just um, kind of trusting the process. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think being guided by some um, good coaches as well, I just kind of put the trust with them and do, I know they want what's best for me. So kind of just chill out and let them tell me what to do. Yeah. I know you don't have a lot of free time, but in that free time, are you a reader? And if so, do you have any book recommendations? I'm not much of a reader. I actually do audiobooks because okay. I, that's the time I get. Like in yeah. my car, I'll listen to some audiobooks. Um, let me look here. Actually, I had, okay. let's see what I just read, listen to. I feel bad when I say read because I'm not really reading. <laughs> but, um, what did I have? I started Mindset. I don't know if you've heard of that one by Carol S. Um, the Mindful Athlete was a really good one as well. Mm. And The Champion's Mind. Mm. And The Art of Happiness I'm cur currently in the middle of by Dalai Lama. Very so, cool. There's Very a few. Cool. Yeah. Well, you're currently in Calgary, but you grew up in Brazil. So let's, let's talk Brazil. Let's talk Brazil, the country you're going to represent next year. For someone mm -hmm. visiting Brazil for the first time, what would be your recommendations? I honestly... I'm from a very small, um, well, it's a small city in the very south of Brazil. Like we're about a three hour drive from Uruguay. Mm -hmm. So we're quite south. Um, and other than that city, I haven't really visited Brazil. Like everyone talks about Rio and Sao Paulo and like the big cities. And I, I actually haven't been. Okay. So, I mean, if I were to go there or when I go there again, I've already said that's, those are two places I'll go because that's just, where tourism is and i think i just want to experience that um well how about this then now but i'll give you the easier one then okay. for someone for someone visiting calgary for the first time what would be your recommendations oh um i mean everyone always goes to the calgary tower it's all right <laughs> um, there's good restaurants mm -hmm. um i think the big part when people come to Calgary is Banff and Lake Louise, which is yeah. like their smaller mountain towns or uh, just outside of Calgary. So there's beautiful hikes and lakes and lots to do there, mountain biking, whatever, yeah. outdoor activities. So I definitely recommend that. And Banff is about an hour from? An hour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome. I am just so looking forward to continuing to follow your career and watch you at the Olympics next year. How can people stay up to date with your career and follow along the journey? I'm mostly, mostly active on Instagram. So it'd be, it's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, and then double underscore Silvera, which is S-I-L-V-E-I-R-A. Everyone misses the I in there. It kind of throws them off. <laughs> yeah. No, this was great. I learned a ton. This was awesome. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for reaching out. And this was awesome. Best of luck. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Best of luck. And I hope we chat again, but thank you for today. Yeah, absolutely. Have Bye. a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Nicole. Do me a favor. Give her a follow on Instagram where you can stay up to date with her Olympic journey. My new book. 
Curiosity is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from any given runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.